Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. If you have your Bible open to the Gospel of John chapter 1. We've had 119 folks being prayed for this week. I hope that you are one of those seeking the Lord in his presence and his guidance as you pray for your one. If you are not, there's no time like today to get on board. And I know of at least one 10-year-old who shared and had a gospel conversation with her friend at school this week. So we've had eight of those conversations taking place. So keep praying, keep working, wait for God's timing and his presence and wait for that open door. But when you see the open door, don't be afraid to walk through for he is with you. Thinking about today and the importance of one, can you think of some words that sound the same but are spelled differently by just changing one letter? All right, so I know you English teachers are geeking out because you're going to rock this game. Uh, Now, I will also say I'm not just changing one letter, but maybe rearranging one also. Ball or ball? Bear or bear? Which one am I talking about? Hair or hair? Pear or pear? This is a fun game, isn't it? Pale or pale? Sail or sail? Oh, sail. That sounds fun. But am I talking on the water or am I talking at the Walmart? What are we doing? The significance of one you get. If you added, is now, I paid attention in chemistry, but if you added one proton to sodium, you would get the next one up, which I think is magnesium. One. One addition or even one deletion changes everything. One ounce of gold right now is worth somewhere around $1,800, give or take, the market, and it changes constantly. So I could have five ounces of silver, and yet it doesn't compare with just one ounce of gold. Think for a moment about one. Many people will give everything to be the one. The bachelor, the bachelorette, They want to find the one. The castaways want to be the sole survivor, the one that outlasted, outwitted, and outplayed everyone. LeBron James will always want to be the one greater than Michael Jordan. He ain't going to do it. (laughs) So many want to be the best, the first, the most important. Second place is the first loser. I say that. I got second place yesterday. I still got a medal. Consider it for a moment, though, about the importance of just one. Listen to the word of God, starting in first John, uh, John chapter 1, not 1 John, just the gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Let's pray. Fathers, we have our open Bibles before us, whether on a book or on our device. Lord, your word is still true. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us. Father, we speak the truth into our hearts and transform us through the power of your spirit and the power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we are called as Christians by Jesus to follow him. You've heard that theme consistently now for the last two weeks, and you're going to continue to hear it. If you go back just a little before in this text in John chapter 1, you'll see this calling is not only to Nathaniel, but also to Philip, to Andrew, and to one guy named Simon. Verse 35, this is where John the Baptist is standing with two of his disciples. And John looks up and he sees Jesus walk by. And as Jesus walked by, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Essentially, John has announced, as he was supposed to, here's the one. Verse 30, it says, uh, excuse me, verse 36. Behold the Lamb of God. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. For it was the 10th hour. These two disciples turn and follow Jesus as Jesus begins this conversation. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? And hearing upon what they wanted to to know and what they were looking for, he said, well, come and see. You've heard that. This is that come and see moment where Jesus invites you to follow him. Come along with me on this journey. Then something interesting happened around verse 41. In verse 41, one of the two, excuse me, verse 40, one of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus. His name was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Andrew, one of the two that are with Jesus initially, they begin to understand that he was in fact the Messiah and he goes to find his one. And his one is his brother, Simon. Andrew announced to his brother, Simon, we have found the Messiah. And then Jesus changed his name. You can finish reading the New Testament, primarily looking at the book of Acts and find out what happens to this one named Simon, Peter. From this moment on, his life trajectory is forever changed because someone went and found him and told him about Jesus. Andrew went to his brother and told him about the Messiah, told him about the Christ. Look at verse 43. 
The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And then we go into what we've already read. Philip found Nathanael. Now, Philip is called by Jesus. Follow me. Follow, follow me. Philip begins to follow Jesus. And there in verse 45, what does Philip do? Philip finds his one. His name is Nathanael. And he says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Everything of God's word has said to us about who the Messiah would be. We have found the one. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He has a very elementary understanding of who Jesus is at this point. He wasn't biologically the son of Joseph. But that's how they know him, at least at the beginning. There is this nuance to the verb follow. Follow me. Yes, it literally can mean, obviously, I'm going this way. Come follow me. Like, literally, physically, we're walking this way. Don't go that way. It's dangerous. Go this way. It's safe. Follow me. But there's also this nuance to that of becoming a disciple. And this is what Jesus is calling them to as he says, follow me. He uses that word now to describe that shepherd and sheep relationship. It's an introduction to this moment of, here we we go. I'm going this way. You follow me. I am Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. You're going to follow me. In John chapter 10, when Jesus begins to talk about that good shepherd, sheep relationship, where he says, I am the good shepherd, in that moment, he uses the same language. So to follow Christ means that we are going to accompany him, learn from him, and respond to his voice. Tuesday night will be our next prayer service, our next prayer gathering, and I want to encourage you to be here because we want to focus on that. What does it mean to be in the manifest presence of Jesus, and we pray that he will show up and show out. How can we know, in fact, we can't know what it is to accompany him, learn from him, or respond to his voice if we're just relying on his omnipresence, okay? We need to be in his presence. We need that as his followers. It's a must. It's essential to following Jesus that we are in that presence with him and that he is with us. And that's what it means here. In John chapter 10, verse 4, Jesus was telling his disciples there, when um, when he, talking about the shepherd, when he has brought out all his own, that is his sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. They know his voice. They're intimately aware of the shepherd's voice, the truth of his voice. That's why we need the presence of Jesus, church. That's why we need to be in that and praying all the time. In verse five of John chapter 10, he says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. They only know the voice of the shepherd. And here we just get a glimpse into this first calling of these four disciples that someone sought them out and shared, we have found the one. Now Nathaniel doubts a bit as first evidenced by his reply to uh, to Philip. When Philip says, come and see, but Nathanael had said, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, that's where Jesus was raised, but we know that's not where he was born. Scripture tells us he was born in Bethlehem, just as Micah 5.2 prophesied would happen. But he's raised in Nazareth. Can anything good come out of there? And Philip says, come and see, come and see. You know, as you're having a gospel conversation with your one, you're probably going to get a response like that. 
you're probably going to get a response. Can anything good come out of that? What good does it do to go to church? What good is it to, to believe in a God who does A, B, or C? What good is it? Because a lot of people have doubts. Naturally so. Like, that's who we are. Satan doesn't want us to know the truth. He doesn't want us to believe the truth. And so he's always going to cast doubts and throw that at people to keep them from the gospel. To which our reply is, come and see. Come and see what Christ has done. Come and let me share uh, the overflow of the joy of my heart, what God has done in my life. Come and let me explain to you the, the grace and the mercy that God has showered upon me through his son, Jesus. Well, Jesus had encountered Nathaniel. He had seen him sitting under a fig tree, and now Nathaniel just gets another glimpse into who this Jesus is. Nathaniel is another one whose life was changed by Jesus. Philip went to his one, Nathaniel. You see where that's going, right? Even though we're not always aware of it, Jesus is with us. Jesus sees us. Even though we don't see him, he is there. He is always present, and we call that omnipresence. He's fully aware of what is going on all the time, everywhere. Even other churches that are happening or going on right now with worship services, he is there. He knows what's happening. He also knows what's happening in your heart. The first words of Jesus recorded in John's gospel are found in verse 38. He says, what are you looking for? And for Jesus, the answer would be a simple one, yet it's life-changing for you and me. If Jesus was asked, what are you looking for? Jesus would say, I'm looking for sinners. Why? Because he came to seek and save the lost. That's what he came to do. He came calling sinners to repentance and trust. Having died upon the cross for our sins, having paid the debt to redeem us from the curse of sin, he now calls sinners all over the world to salvation, to follow him. These disciples had to leave everything behind for the sake of following Jesus. And this is the question that confronts each one of us. What are you looking for? What are you seeking in this life? What did these guys have to give up? Well, these two disciples, or four actually, could have been looking for assurance that they were okay before God, that their effort, their sincerity at being a good Jew was sufficient enough to please him. They could have been seeking authority, a position, and we kind of find that out later, that there's at least two, the sons of thunder, who are arguing who's going to be the best one in the kingdom of God next to Jesus. Who's going to get to sit on the right and the left-hand side of his throne when Jesus takes the throne of Israel? They're looking for position and power, but that's not what Jesus, and that's not why he came. They could have been looking for the excitement that would come through a new political leader, one who would finally lead a rebellion against Rome that would throw the Romans out of occupation and let Israel reestablish the national boundaries of David and Solomon back in the day. But that's not why he came. They could have been hoping for an escape from the drudgery of a boring life, purposeless life. But that's not why he came. They could have been seeking personal affirmation, someone to say, you're okay, and people like you. But that's not why he came. They could have been looking for some kind of mystical religious experience, something that they'd never felt, something that they had never experienced. And Jesus asked us the same question. What are you looking for? Acceptance, position? You're looking for influence? 
Excitement, escape, love, security, experience, approval. These are all things that are important to us, but the answer is found in what Jesus is offering. And that's what we pursue, an invitation to be with Jesus. That's what he's offering, to follow Jesus, to be forgiven by Jesus, to live in that abundant life marked by his presence that he extends to us by his grace. That's what Jesus offers because that's the answer to what we're looking for. And after the question comes that invitation, John points to Jesus and tells his disciples, he says, look at verse 36 again, John the Baptist, he says, look, there he is, the Lamb of God. Then Jesus says to these same disciples, come and see. Philip invites his friend to come to Christ with the words, come and see. And Jesus made a promise to his disciples in verse 50, you will see. Friends, Jesus invites us to come and see what we really need. And we all seek something, and Jesus invites you to come and to discover that he is all you need. Only Jesus Christ can fill that emptiness. You'll notice here also that Christians or disciples are in the process of transformation. The gospel transforms us from being dead in our sin to being alive with Christ to a growing disciple follower of Jesus. As Jesus has invited us, these disciples, these men, three times in this passage, follow me, follow me, follow me, that's the invitation. The mark of a true disciple is one who is following Jesus, which leads to transformation because Christians are being transformed by Jesus. Names in the Bible often have a deep meaning. Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel. They often mark a life-changing moment whereby God has called the man or the man and his wife, because Sarah also got a new name, and their life is altered by that call of God and their response and their trust in God. And for Simon, it's no different as his name will be changed to Cephas or Peter, which means the rock. Every time I read that, I hear Sean Connery in the background from that movie called The Rock, where he says, gentlemen, welcome to The Rock. I just, it just plays in my mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> Peter is going to be the rock. That's where Jesus has taken him. Is he the rock yet? No. His name has changed, but he's not there yet. You see that as you read through the Gospels and into the book of Acts, you begin to see that transformation in Peter's life. He's probably one of the best examples we have in the New Testament of that life transformation, he and Paul. But we are being transformed by Jesus. When you read through that, it's interesting that Peter is nothing like a rock when you read the four Gospels. There's nothing that Peter does. I mean, other than sinking like a rock when he's walking on the water. That may be a, a literal example of him being like a rock. But he was outspoken, usually wrong, not always, though. There is the moment where he confesses and professes Christ to be Messiah. He was right in that moment, or Jesus to be Messiah. I mean, when Jesus is arrested, he takes the guard's ear off. He, he'd already told Jesus that he wasn't going to die. That's not going to happen. I'll never allow it to happen, which is when Jesus responded, get thee behind me, Satan. He seems like he's all over the place. But this is a reference to what will happen in Peter's life. 
It's not that it happened right at this moment. This is the beginning of the rest of his life and the life change that will pursue. Now, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to show you, yes, it's not called 1 Simon, is it? No, it's called 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, we can listen to the words of this man who had his life changed by Jesus because his brother came and told him they had found the one. Listen to what Peter writes in verse three, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. That word, transformation, think about that for a moment. Paul used that word, Transformation, at least twice, Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 3. We get our word metamorphosis from it. It's a change. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what Paul is referring to there is an invisible process that takes place on the inside of every man or woman, boy or girl that calls upon Jesus for salvation, that trusts him. And in that transformation, we're no longer conforming our lives to the world, whether by behavior or what is socially acceptable, but rather we are being changed from the inside out according to the work of the Spirit of God that is at work within us. So we don't conform our lives to the standards of the world around us, as tempting as that is, because everyone else is doing it. We don't want to be the weird one. We don't want to be the odd one. But rather, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, our hearts. Friends, Christ has come to give us a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of trusting in him for the salvation of our life. Rather than a set of rules, we are now living to follow and serve Jesus. We are seeking the presence of the good shepherd. We are eagerly and anticipating hearing the voice of our shepherd because the goal is to become like Jesus. The spirit that is at work in you, we set our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. What a glorious transformation Jesus has worked in Simon's life. From Jesus, never shall this happen to you, to no, I have nothing to do with that man. I don't know who this Jesus guy is, to what we just read. Only the grace of God, my friends, can change a person like that. And remember, he was not called until Andrew invited him 
to see the Messiah. Peter was Andrew's one. Which leads me to the final thing this morning is that we are to be calling others to Jesus. We are to go to our one and say, come and see the Messiah, the Savior. Come and see Jesus. I'm going to shift directions for a moment over to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, there's two parables here they want to focus on for a moment. They're very short. Doesn't mean my points are going to be short, but the parables are very short. Verses 44, 45, and 46. Jesus teaching his parables, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Short yet profound Parables taught by Jesus, the hidden treasure and the priceless pearl. When Jesus said to his disciples, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? That's where these parables kind of hit home. And verse 44 is a man who finds a treasure in a field. It's going to sound a bit strange to us, but they didn't have banks where you could go deposit it in a safety deposit box for safekeeping. They didn't have big safes in their closets tucked away with your fingerprint to open it up or a combination. They didn't do that quite often. They would go out to some obscure location and bury their treasure so no one would find it. Here's a man. He's out walking in this field. We don't know exactly where it is. It doesn't matter. But when he found the treasure, this is what matters. He went and sold everything he had to buy that field knowing that it was worth more than everything else he owned. Some of his peers may have thought, well, oh, this guy's nuts. He's lost his mind. What are you doing? You didn't have much to begin with, but what are you doing? But we know, we know that he had found something worth losing everything for. He found the kingdom of heaven. The pearl, the priceless pearl, communicates a very similar truth with a slight difference in the story, is a man who's actively looking for fine jewels, but what he found was far more and beyond all of his expectations. Both are surprised at what is found. Friends, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is something worth losing everything for. For the sake of following Jesus, for the sake of knowing Jesus, the great reward and repentance and salvation and turning back to Jesus is that the Father welcomes the prodigal home. That grace and mercy rule the heart, rule the day. And we find there, when we turn back, and when our loved ones turn back, there we find the greatest treasure of all, the forgiveness of our sin. But what is more, we find God himself. The Apostle Paul had something to say about this in the Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He said, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. 
Other translations use a much more interesting word there than rubbish. But it didn't matter to Paul. Why? Because he gained Christ. The disciples are going to lose a great deal from the time they're called to the end of their life. They're going to lose a great deal for following Jesus, including Peter, who would be crucified upside down. But ultimately, though, they are with him for eternity, friends. And as Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so for eternity is far better than anything else this life on this earth could offer. So I ask you, who's your one? And what are they looking for? You know the answer. The answer is Jesus. And we've got to go to them. We've got to go to them. If a lifeguard sees a person begin to struggle in the water, do they sit there in the chair and wonder if the person struggling is going to make fun of them for their swim stroke? Is the person struggling going to reject their attempt to save them? Is the person who is struggling in the water going to reject the attempt? But rather, in seeing the helpless condition of the one who is struggling in the water, the lifeguard jumps out of the chair, gets in the water, and goes to save them. Immediately. Friends, all around us are men and women, students and children, friends and family who are drowning in their own sin. They're struggling. Many of them may not even know it. They're waving their hands and their arms in the air, splashing, struggling, hoping someone will notice them. Some of them are even swimming into a rip current and they don't even know it's there. But the word of God and the call of Jesus calls us, church, to commit to being an intentional witness. You accept Christ's offer of grace and you surrender your life to his mission. You don't have to be a Billy Graham and go save millions and millions of people. We're praying for one. If we pray for one and that one comes and then that one begins to pray for one and you see the effect. So I want to encourage you to go and tell. Go and tell. This is why we're praying for our one. Go and tell. Each one bring one. There's a story out of World War II about Desmond Doss. You'll know that story. It was made into a movie not too long ago, but he entered the war in one of the bloodiest battles of World War II's Pacific Theater in Okinawa. The problem that he had was that he was a conscientious objector, and so he took nothing in battle to protect himself. All he carried with him was his medical kit. No rifle. And the fighting that took place in April of 1945 on that battlefield, it was located at the top of a sheer 400-foot cliff, fortified with weapons, a network of Japanese machine gun turret nests and booby traps all over the place. Not to mention that those guys had to climb up a rope, uh, a net rope that high while carrying all their gear as much as they could. That was named Hacksaw Ridge. But it was key to winning that battle of Okinawa. The mission, thought to be next to impossible, 
faced Doss and his battalion, and they were ordered into battle. When his battalion got to the top of the cliff and they put up a good fight, they were also then ordered to retreat because the fighting was so intense and the losses were heavy. Doss began to collect his fallen friends at arms. Facing the machine gun fire and artillery fire, Doss repeatedly ran alone into the kill zone, carrying wounded soldiers to the edge of the cliff, where he then single-handedly lowered them down to safety. But what struck me about that story, and it's recounted numerous times by different witnesses, that each time he saved a man's life, Doss's prayer out loud was, Lord, please help me get one more. And by the end of the night, he had rescued an estimated 75 men. Now, his friend said 100. He said 50. So they settled in the middle. Lord, please help me get one more. Would you make that your prayer this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, please help me get one more. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.